0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell
1: you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.
3: All right, James, it was 11.37 on a Thursday afternoon in March. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you doing? Good. The season's almost over. Are you sad are you excited for the playoffs are you loving all these march
2: games by the time you're us and you get to this point we've watched like i watch all the preseason games i watched the game last night against buffalo twice like i i have a sickness so but but like by the time you get to here, it's like okay like let's it's time for the playoffs it's time for like we i feel like we've beaten the storylines to death quite a bit i feel like sometimes i'm writing an article I wrote that one article about some of the problems, mm-hmm. um, some of the some of the troubling questions about the Leafs mm-hmm. on Monday, and I had to go back on Sunday and read some of the stuff I had written earlier in the season. Just to, I was like, I don't want to like just like say the same thing again. So I, yeah. I went back and um, looked at, and and when there's a season like this where something unexpected happens, which is, we'll see what happens over the last eight games. But like if they finished the year on a big losing skid, that was really unexpected. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to go back and look at what we wrote during the year and like were we wrong? Did we did we miss something? And but I think that there was like a degree of skepticism in a lot of the stuff that we wrote during the season. So mm-hmm. anyway, that that's it's it's a long year. I think there are way too many games in the NHL. I say this all the time. I think it should be a seventy game season and we're ready for the playoffs. I just hope we're not staying in that crappy Airbnb again in, <laughs> in, in Boston.
3: Amazingly, the, the, the hotel prices in Boston at this oh. time of year are always insane. Cause the, you, know, you know what it is? It's the marathon, and a lot of the universities have their graduation right around then. But anyway, people don't care about that. So you bring oh, up something care. that I did want to talk about, and I should mention the podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. So go to com slash leave report for 40% off. Um, so this is like something I've been wrestling with like the last couple weeks. How big a deal is this that they're playing this way? because what 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 sometimes i realize i've realized over the years is that we can make too big of a deal of like five games or six games even 10 games because teams throughout the year generally and Tampa's like the exception this year everybody kind of goes through these spells where for four or five six seven games they don't look right why i think it's probably different is because this has been going on a while not to this degree obviously the goaltending's been better Um, how concerning, like, do you think this this recent spell is? And this obviously comes, we're we're talking after they played really well against Nashville and they played really well against Buffalo. So, like, how concerned do you think this this recent patch particularly is?
2: I think think the concern is, like you said, that it's been going on for a long time. They've been playing at an 89-point pace, including the win over Buffalo since the end of December, since December 29th. That's a long period of time to be, Pretty mediocre. Like an 89-point pace wouldn't make the playoffs. And a lot of their fundamental underlying stats are down over that time period. So I I would say a little bit concerned. I think if they have a really strong... The game against Buffalo, they were great. It was one of their best games this season. That was their best game in, in Corsi 4 percentage, mm-hmm. Fenwick 4 percentage. It was right up there in the other ones at even strength, um, um, score adjusted, even though they had that lull in, in in the third period when Buffalo started to come back. Now it's the Sabres. They're not a very good team, but you want to bury the bad teams at this point of the year, especially when you still have a chance of catching Boston. So I've got a little bit of concern because their record was really built on really high PDO and really high shooting percentage early in the year and a really high power play percentage. And they just haven't impressed me over, I would say, probably a three-month stretch. So. Hmm the the big the question of this leaf season is can they beat boston in the first round the question isn't that that's the only question that matters i was saying this on the radio with with matt cause the other day is people will remember the season based on what happens in the first round Mm -hmm. with boston and to a lesser extent what happens against tampa in the second round i think if they go to the second round and they push tampa and it's a six game series and it's close i think the fan base and management and I think everyone can live with this season and that it was in service to something and it went somewhere. If they lose in five or six games to the Bruins, there's gonna be a lot of angst in Toronto.
3: Well, so that's part of like what I was wrestling with is they could have a really shitty finish to the season, right? And they could still go out in the first round and beat Boston. And then we like I, I that's why I'm like careful like to not over evaluate this stuff. Well, the think- only issue, the only thing I would say before you, you say anything is some of these issues, I don't see them changing. So, like, there is uncertainty with Jake Gardner. There is uncertainty to some degree with Travis Dermott. The top pair is not changing. Ron Hainsey and, and Morgan Riley are going to be the top pair. Frederick Anderson, I imagine, will bounce back. I don't think he's going to be this moving forward, but he's also had two questionable playoffs. The Boston one worse, obviously, than Washington – that those are the reasons why, like it's a little more, ah, like that, like I could see some reason to be concerned.
2: The, I mean, you're gonna predict that history repeats itself if if you're doing the same thing, and the Leafs are largely doing the same thing that they did last year entering the playoffs. They they were playing just kind of okay. They were mailing in a lot of games. They had Hainsy on the top pair. Uh, they weren't an outstanding possession team. And Boston's been really, really hot. I mean, I know they had that... I think they had a three-game losing skit or something. But, like, in general, their second half has been very, very impressive. So, you know, like, if if we're making predictions today, I don't think I'm picking the Leafs right now. Like, I'm not super confident. But they've got another eight games to show us what they can do. The positive signs, I think, are worth talking about. Austin Matthews looks fantastic. I mean, if he can take this... Nealanders looking really good. Um... (laughs) <laughs> what else? I mean like they, they, Tavares in that line and Marner looks really really dangerous I still think this is a better team than last year even though they're going to finish yeah. with fewer points than they had last season uh, some of that comes down to just not playing in a shootout all year and stuff like that but um, I think these last eight games are really important for the Leafs to to show what they are and to put kind of things together and go into the playoffs on on not a down note
3: well, if they get this Austin Matthews in the playoffs, they are a different beast. Because, like, you just think of, like, the matchup problems that causes. Because that Marner line has been generally consistent. Like, of late, they haven't looked as good. But if you get Matthews and Nealander going, and you've got Tavares and Marner going, and then, like, you've got a threat of Kasperi Kapitan on the third line, like, suddenly you look at that team, and you're like, man, that, that that's interesting. And then you've got, like, Tyler Ennis and Trevor Moore on the fourth line and whoever else is centering, like suddenly they start to look different than they did last year. The one thing like I'm I'm a little wary of when looking at last year's playoffs is there were so many I don't know if extenuating circumstances that made it not replicable to this year. Do you know what I mean? Like there were so many things that happened that it's hard to pick that series apart and say that is comparable to what we can expect this year. And some of that is is Cadre getting suspended. Matthews scoring once, Uh, Thomas Placanich playing 17 minutes a game, Dominic Moore playing half the series. Both those guys are out of the league. Like, there's just stuff that that makes me look at that series and say, I don't know if we can totally compare it to what's coming.
2: I've looked like really closely at the roster last year compared to this one and the different production and things like that. A full one third of the minutes played at even strength were by players that are gone. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like there was, it's not like they just lost JVR and Bozak the the D's changed a lot. Borgman and Polak played a lot last year. There's a there's been a lot of changes mm-hmm. in in and not necessarily not uh, not that high in the lineup in terms of and I mean Janssen only played 9 games in regular season yeah. last year. He was good in the playoffs last year, but you know, I think that he can be at an, another level in this series. Yeah. And I think the thing we can't discount is that all these young guys are another year further in their development. Yeah. So
3: well, and John Tavares is like a massive Huge. difference. Huge. Like, I'm going to eventually write, or Bo- one of us Bozak will write.
2: had a tough series last year against Boston.
3: Yeah. and they that's
2: a- a re- The Leafs were overmatched down the middle last year, and that's not going to happen this year.
3: He's a massive X-factor because, like, suddenly if you're at home, you can match him up against Bergeron and feel really, really confident about that. Um, the one thing that is different, like you mentioned, sorry, there's some sirens going on, who did living you, in the city. Who did you murder? Um the defense right now is a really big question mark. Hang on. You didn't answer the who did you murder question. Okay, they're gone. The defense right now would be concerning to me because what's interesting actually is the 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 Hansey Riley pair I looked for the last little bit has actually been fine. That doesn't give me confidence if I'm the Leafs going to the playoffs, that it's going to be fine. What would concern me is those other two pairs. Now, if you get Travis Dermott back, which you can assume, that helps. He also is coming back from a month off, which isn't easy.
2: He's coming back from the same thing Matthews came back, and you remember yes. how long it took Matthews to look normal. Like that would be like a month.
3: Con- that would be my concern with Dermott is that, mm-hmm. and Dermott's a pretty physical player, and well, and so what? What? What also would concern me there is. I don't. Th- I think the ideal thing to do, if I was Mike Babcock, would be to go to that muzzin Dermot pair, muzzin Dermot pair, and use that as my second pair. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think he's going to keep Muzzin with Zaitsev, and I think he'll put Dermot with whoever Hozhiganov or whatever. And that to me doesn't feel like it's that 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 would worry me because Muzzin's not as good as Gardner, so that Muzin zaitsev pair is not as good. And he, I just can't see him relying on Dermot and whoever on that third pair a whole bunch. Like So that kind of gives me some angst. The whole Gardner thing
2: is really important. Um, I've been working on getting an update on where he's at. I wrote a piece earlier in the week that was kind of a bit doom and gloom. Um, let's. It, it's the same thing with Dermot. I mean, if you miss that much time and you have that serious of an injury and it's your back, there's going to be uncertainty about that even if he does come back. And yeah. he's going to be coming off a long layoff and how much can can you rely on him in mm-hmm. in minute in key minutes and but it really changes the complexion of their decor when they don't have those two guys yeah i mean it, 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 the buffalo game uh Ogiganov played eight and a half minutes, and Hall played seven and a half. I can't remember the last game I've seen the Leafs play where the third pair played that little, yeah maybe ever like I can't ever remember a third pair playing under ten minutes, yeah. Brett Lebda used to get like eight or nine minutes some games, but they would always play mm-hmm. the fifth guy more to have the two guys not play. And then everybody else was between 23 and a half and 25 and a half. Mm-hmm. Second game of a back-to-back. like That's that's really wild. That's the opposite of load management. <laughs> <As> I, <laughs> I said to you on, the, on, on Slack, the, the channel that we talk on last night, it's load mismanagement.
3: We can talk about that. We will definitely talk about that. But that is – I think we should spend a couple minutes here on Gardner. Um Lots of things you mentioned there are interesting. Um, the one thing, like as far as the layoff is concerned, you could get him back, and the same thing could pop up again. Like that's what is a little scary for him and for the Leafs. Is like he had the break obviously in the All Star break. Um, they they didn't play him the final two games before the break, hoping that it would help. He played a, a bunch of games. And then it popped up again. Like, that's really scary. And, like, you think of all the little things that he does. it He... I don't know. Like, it, you just can't replace that. J- Jake Muzzin is not him. Jake Muzzin can't move the puck like he can. He can't skate the puck like he can. And so suddenly you look at their three pairs. They go from having, like, three guys, one on each pair, who can skate the puck out and who can make all these little clever passes, good breakout passes to, to get out of the zone. And now suddenly you've got one. And on the other two pairs... You don't really have that commodity, and to me, that, that really hurts them.
2: Think about it this way. How do you think the Bruins players are going to approach playing Jake Gardner when he's playing through s- severe back pain that's kept him out half the season? Hammer him. They they are going to, absolutely, yeah. yeah. You're going to get David Backus, all 235 pounds of him on the fourth line, and, and Corrali and... Uh, one of the things that impressed me with the bruins early in that series is that they were just super super aggressive on the leafs defense. Mm-hmm. They were all over them. They were they were up the leafs ass like especially those first two games of that series and the leafs didn't have an answer for for it. And I don't I don't know what you do. I mean, Gardner's not the easiest guy to hit, but he also always tries to make the play and I could see that Potentially leaving him—he's got the puck so much. I yeah. could see it leaving him vulnerable if the Bruins just try and hammer him over and over and over again.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and he just—if you look at the numbers—and like, I—I've wanted to use these numbers and just never found a place. And you've kind of referenced them a bit, but like, you look at the difference between Muzzin-Zaitsev as a pair and Gardner-Zaitsev as a pair. Gardner props up Zaitsev so much more. And you can just see it in like all the little things that he can do where Zaitsev will move the puck to him. And like he, he's just elusive and he can get himself out of trouble and he can make these short little passes. Well, and Jake Muzzin just... He, he's not, he can't do that. That's not who he is. What's happening
2: with the muzin zaitsev pair is that Muzzin's being asked to move the puck over and over and over again. Yeah. And that's... Like, he's not bad at that, but he shouldn't be... Like, when it really worked... Uh, for LA, Muzzin was playing with Dowdy, and Dowdy was doing a lot of the puck moving. And mm-hmm. like I, re- I like Muzzin. I think he's starting to get to where they need him to get, and I think he's going to be a better player. Um, he hasn't been that consistent; has been his problem. He's yeah. had good games and he's had poor games, but it's a it's a lot to ask him to carry his D partner as much as he's being asked to.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and that's why, you know, you get Dermot back. And, like, it it's, it slightly changes the foundation of what you're doing. Again, like, we'll see what kind of player well, the Dermot thing, is. And- the thing
2: that I liked about Dermot early in the year, even though he probably didn't play as much as we would have liked to see him play, he made he gave them a very good third pair, which they don't have right now. And you can't underrate that because if you look at even strength minutes, typically, not, not against Buffalo, but typically, yeah. the third pair plays a lot. Like, they play a pretty high percentage yeah. of the even strength minutes. It It matters. Like, having... And having Dermot on that third pair and propping up, it was Ojeganov most of the year, Having that gave them one of the best, at least one defenseman on a third pair in the, in the in the league.
3: Well, the way to look at it is they were winning those shifts. Yeah. And now they're not winning those shifts. Yeah. And now that,
2: they don't even have those shifts.
3: Yes. Wow. Well, and that's, that's another separate issue. Oh, I keep skipping ahead. We can talk about it now. Actually, let's talk about it now. Um, so I wrote about load management and why I think the Leafs should... Give
2: them something to talk about. The
3: Leafs should copy the raptors and use load management it is like to bit boil it down in, in basic terms it really seems like common sense not to do this stuff or to do this stuff like it doesn't make sense to play ron hainsey 24 minutes in both games on a back-to-back it doesn't make sense to be playing 39 year old patrick marlowe every single game when he's you're getting trying... to get a lot of minutes, too. played 17 minutes. They yeah. played... So they played Trevor Moore five minutes and 41 seconds in Buffalo. That doesn't make sense. Like, you're trying to win a cup. You shouldn't be... you got to think bigger than this. And I'm sure if you got Kyle Dubas and you could give him True serum and, like, he told you exactly what he wanted to do, I'm sure this would be part of it. But, like, man, it, it feels like it's long past time that the NHL started doing this stuff. It's It's... They're so far behind the other sports. Like baseball, they've had innings limits and pitch counts and all that stuff for years. The Spurs were resting players seven, eight, nine years ago giving guys minutes restrictions. I think it's crazy that this hasn't happened in the NHL, and I think the Leafs should really, really consider in these last couple weeks resting some of their players.
2: Kyle, if you're listening and you agree with us, tweet out a cryptic (laughs) gif in the next few days, and then everyone will know what it was about. Retweet uh, some other GM from other sport with a cryptic check mark, and then everyone will know. Um, I was just looking up as you were talking. I was looking up uh, the percentage chance of the Leafs passing the Bruins in to, to get in to get home ice, because that's ostensibly what they potentially could be playing for mm-hmm. right now. What percentage chance do you think they have of, of getting past Boston into, and getting home ice? Like. Hey. 12 percent, something like that that is exactly what the number is seriously well, wow i'm, I'm looking at play the stats which i'm not supposed to but that's exactly what it says is 12 i think yeah yeah 12 percent. i don't know and the I,
3: thing is like the, the one thing like i've been thinking about that is how much like value is that one extra home game does it matter sure you're starting you're also starting the series at home like there is some importance to that but is it worth like burning out all your players just to get that no I don't think so and you can still win games like if you sat Ron Hainsey or sat Patrick Marlowe or sat Frederick Anderson
2: I think one of the tough things for the Leafs is that the Marlies have had a bunch of injuries on D like I think we would have seen Rosen would have been playing most yeah. a lot of these games Borgman even I could see them calling him up right now with Marincin's got he's got that flu that everybody's got I guess yeah the the death plague oh the sirens are back again Jonas what did you do Maybe they didn't like my parking job. I parked on Spadina. I was like the only car there. I hope it was legal. <laughs> Your entire neighborhood is under construction.
3: It's the city, man. Welcome to Toronto.
2: I'm going back out to my my quiet East End neighborhood.
3: But so why don't so why do you think this hasn't happened in the NHL yet?
2: Oh, there's a lot of things that haven't happened in the NHL yet, like they they haven't seen the evidence for it is one thing. Mm-hmm. Like but you know what's funny though like there's a there's a lot of more progressive teams and GMs than there has ever been mm-hmm. in the NHL and they're still not to the level of I think the NBA the analysis is so fine-tuned that they can see yeah. the impact that that is having and they they can quantify it. And when you can quantify it, we're seeing it to some yeah. extent with the goalies where like the Leafs can quantify that they want to play their backup on the second night of a back-to-back because I don't I don't know the numbers on that, but they've obviously ran the numbers on that and figured out that you should play your starter on the first game because it gives you X percentage chance to win when he's rested. And then you play your backup on the second game and you just kind of take your chances that you're going to mm-hmm. win some of those games uh, like they did against Buffalo. Um,
3: well, and they would bring that to Mike Babcock and he'd be like, okay, that makes sense.
2: Well, I bet you the analysis was convincing.
3: Well, and so what I don't understand, and you... I was asking you this question on Slack is don't you think it'd be pretty easy for Kyle Dubas to go to his R&D team and be like okay I want you to find out what it looks like when Ron Hainsey plays in the second half of a back-to-back versus what he plays like at one game one day rest, two days rest, all that kind of stuff and then I can go to Babcock and I can say look at this. This well, this is simple.
2: Not only that, but like they have a really high-end strength and training team and they use the world's top technology they use the catapult system where the players are wearing a harness mm-hmm. or now they've got it in their, in their shoulder pads they, they wear like a little um, it's got a gyroscope in it and it's got a computer chip in it and it kind of measures all of the different loads on their body and all these things I mean that's what the other sports are doing I remember going to Sloan and they were talking about it about the NFL and NBA and even baseball that they look at all of those things and then they use like they don't just have to look at the results in games yeah. they can look in the practice and be like Oh man, like we killed Ron Hainsey, and like he's only skating at two miles per hour today when he should be at two point eight, and um, we need to manage his load.
3: Well, it feels like even if you don't have that data, like just simple common sense would say to you, like let's just like let's let's be really sure. Like we we have this thirty nine year old Patrick Marlowe. Why, like we've got this game Monday against Florida. Why are we why are we playing him? Like what what's what benefit? We're trying to like. We need him to be able to go two and a half months after the season, um, after the regular season. Why? What are we doing here? Like, why are we burning him out? Let's just play for one night. Let's play Trevor Moore seventeen minutes and we'll sit Marlowe for one night. Let's sit Ron Hainsey and let's let's use Travis German on the top pair. Like, let's let's try these things. And test these different guys in different situations. You're not even necessarily going to lose. Like the it's a different league, but the Raptors sit Kawhi Leonard all the time and can still win because they have a good team. The Leafs have a good team, even if they sat John Tavares one night just to rest him. They could still win that game. Like, and even if they didn't win that game, like you're trying to like think bigger than what um, coaches sometimes want to do. And I think that's. I don't know. I feel like that's the bridge that they have to cross in the NHL.
2: The Leafs have made some progress in that respect and that like there are some things that Babcock has bought in with. I mean, they've taken over the injury recovery and things yeah. like that because Babcock was pushing guys to come back too early, um, in, early in his tenure with the Leafs. I mean, that was mm-hmm. – and there were guys playing through things that they shouldn't have been. I remember Dan Winnick like, limping around on the ice when he had the injury that he – I think it was an ankle sprain or something like that that he had to play through. But it hasn't gone all the whole way. And but then we don't know what the sports science team and what do, the GM and management are saying to Babcock about resting guys. We, mm-hmm. we don't know because no. they haven't told us. Um, and Babcock's been asked about this. I remember him being asked about it at the end of last year, when they were playing a lot of meaningless games, and his response was something along the lines of, "You also want to keep guys ready."
3: Yeah, and there and that that's that's valid, but. Do you really think if you sat Patrick or in Buffalo that that's going to impact how he's well, going to be ready Marlo's, for game 1?
2: Marlowe's complicated cuz the Iron Man streak.
3: Okay, but okay, so I, I'm I glad wish you could bro- put a
2: gif on the podcast cuz I have a gif of someone in an Iron Man costume ironing. Okay. That, that's and what the, I sent you when you asked me why they won't they won't sit Marlow. I'm glad
3: you brought this up. What is most important? Yes, the the gif is like the good news is you haven't made any puns yet so far in the podcast. I,
2: I saw that gif of Iron Man ironing and I just like that made my day so i had to send it to you and then i sent it to someone else
3: too <laughs> okay well so all due respect what patrick Marlowe has accomplished is incredible so what what is like what are you trying to do here are you trying to win a cup or are you trying to like make sure that this streak is intact do the so, leafs get a trophy if he sets the all-time ironman record no you get shit and it's it's awesome and like it's impressive and it's the sixth longest streak in history so what like these streaks are going to come to an end at some point, anyway. If if you really want to win a cup and you're trying to do everything you possibly can, even if it gives you a, like a little tiny percentage chance, improved chance by him being a little bit more res- rested, fresh, whatever. Why not? Like I I just don't. To me, that's not good enough. Anyway, they can do whatever they want. I just don't. I just don't think it's smart. Did you say they literally get shit? Yeah, they don't get anything. I don't what think, do
2: they get? I don't think they literally get. It. <laughs> Did you see? There's that poll on Twitter. Someone's ranking. Their t- who's the worst media member? Hockey media member? Did yeah. you see it? I, I saw you're a number one C. I'm a number one C. <laughs> Amazing! Congratulations! Why wow, that? And they also put me against Down Goes Brown. They put me against like the most popular media person possible. So you're going out in the first round? Well, I was surprised I got 20 percent of the of. The, uh, well, so wait, are you supposed to vote for the one you don't like? Yeah. I, I, I'm getting like 79% of the vote against no. Dan Close brown I thought it would be like... I mean, Dan Close brown I would I would vote for me over Dan Close brown He's he's my favorite media member, too. Um, but what you win, the trophy is in a picture at the top. <laughs> have you seen it? Yes. It's the golden turd.
3: Yes. I kind of want to win that. Do you think you have a chance? Like, who do you think your toughest competition is? Oh, boy, there's a lot of... <laughs> I,
2: I don't want to say who I think the worst media member is. There's a I. I'm sure there are a lot of media members hate it a lot more than me. This, this year has been really interesting because I find that the longer the Leafs are a good team, like they're a top five team, and the more we're writing positive stories about them and tweeting positive things about them, the more backlash I get. Like my Twitter feed is, I know you don't read a lot of what you're, like the stuff I get is like, holy cow, like just crazy. People are saying like I get like really misogynistic stuff. I get stuff making fun of what I look like. I get like all kinds of stuff. I've had people say stuff about my kids and stuff. Like it's just crazy.
3: Don't read it. But anyway, but you know what is interesting about that? The whole media fans thing. Wouldn't know about the golden turd trophy. Well, I do think it's interesting that you can't sell fans garbage anymore. They're too smart. Like so when you so what what I think is happening a lot now is the old analysis is still being spit out. If fans are too smart for that, like it doesn't it doesn't work. Some but anyways, some fans. Okay.
2: Um I mean, we're trying to do smart analysis and then like there's people attacking you.
3: Yeah, but that's like that's the world. People criticize everything. People criticize sunshine, I think. That, anyway, that
2: uh that's why I kind of that quote that Babcock had uh, during the Tavares thing about all that matters is the people whose knees touch your kitchen table or whatever. I mean, there's some truth to that, for sure.
3: A lot of those things he says, like, are true. It's not easy to, like, live those things all the time, but they're true. Um, good segue. I do think we should talk about... Siegelway. Babcock and Kyle Dubas, that because that's fun. kind of become, like, a little bit of a, a thing.
2: What do you think the gift meant that Kyle put a check mark on from Daryl Morey, the GM of the Houston Rockets, and also the founder of the Sloan Statistics Conference?
3: Well... I think you could read it any way you want. Um, the way he thinks, to me, like about sports, is basically what that tweet was. Like that just because something is obvious and like has been done a certain way doesn't mean it's right. And that sometimes more complex things. But it wasn't like a direct. It didn't feel like. like. No, it just felt like an endorsement of an, a yeah. way of thinking that he believes. You can't read it's... that as a
2: direct response to what Babcock said. Because no. Babcock said we need to get better and have more depth
3: which is true and it, it but that, that's it's not the,
2: wrong simple wrong thinking like I'm sure Dubis wants them to have more depth too
3: yes fair uh, it, it's just the timing of it looked weird yeah
2: um, well we know that Dubis knows what Babcock said
3: yes now do you think so do you think that was a shot at I don't think that was a shot at Dubas. Well, I think to me what he was saying is there's all these other organizations who for a long time have been developing players and developing good players. So they're better set up to handle stuff than the Leafs, who've only like really been like in this kind of state for a few years. They haven't built up as much of an infrastructure because they just haven't been doing it as long. Or do you think he was like, you know what the problem with that is?
2: The problem with that is so the Leafs are missing two of their I would say best four or five NHL D. They're missing three, probably their best Marley's D. Yeah. The the thing is is that like like Boston has had a whole bunch of injuries this year and they kept winning games. Yeah. And it's not because you look at Providence and that team is loaded with a whole bunch of great players. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's about. It's about building a system where you can plug and play other pieces yeah. and use them efficiently and continue to play the same way and continue to win. And that's what Boston is great at. The Leafs are not good at that. That's not just about the quality of your players. I don't know exactly what their record is, but the Marlies probably have a better record than than Providence. Like, they it's not like it's not like the Marlies are one of the worst teams in the AHL. They're fine. Like, they there are players there they can use. Are they being used properly, or are they being recalled and played five minutes a game?
3: Well, to be honest, like a lot of the Marlies haven't really been called up this year. Like, there there haven't been a lot of guys who've come up and played. Trevor Moore is one. Who else? Like it's not there's not really a ton who've actually come up and played. We haven't seen we didn't see Carl Gunstrom before he got traded. We haven't seen Jeremy Bracco, You know Cali Rosen. Saying, no. no, you're you're right. But we like they the they always have a better record than Providence. Like it's a better team. I mean
2: part of that might be that Boston's had to use a bunch of those guys, but
3: I just don't think it's it's been a thing this year. Like the guys that they're using weren't Marlies. Um and like you said, Callie Rosen was injured. Like So instead of playing Martin Marincin, you'd be playing Rosen. But this idea that the Leafs' depth is shittier, it doesn't make any sense. Like We've been talking all year about
2: how good their depth is.
3: Well, I never thought that that was... I never totally bought into that. Like They don't have... They're thin at center beyond yeah. the NHL. You look at like even their winger wingers like there's not a ton there that you could like if you had a rash of injuries that you'd be really confident about plugging in but let's be honest though babcock's talking about defense well and and so this is where it's unfair and it's a little bit of like it it's kind of bullshit to say it you've had these guys on your team who you've chosen not to play and you may not like justin hall that's totally fine but you can't then be upset that when you need justin hall he hasn't played, like, and he's well, not ready to play. The other thing,
2: too, is that Babcock talks a big game about being involved in the recruiting of these players and how much he likes them and whatever. And then, if like, if you're going to be GM slash coach, then you have to wear some of these decisions. Like, if the guys you want on your defense when you're GM slash coach are Zaitsev and Ozhaganov and they're not mm-hmm. playing well, that's partly on you. Yeah. You can't just say, oh, the GM didn't get anyone good. Well, it's like, well,. Well, and
3: then... You've been
2: involved in this process of acquiring players and building this team?
3: Yeah. Well, and then, like, when you... Par
2: Lindholm. Look at Par Lindholm. You know, play the crap out of that guy, and he can't play. He, He had, like, one point in four years or something.
3: Well, and then, like, you get Nick Patan, and, like, you immediately... You do not... Enthusiastically yeah. rave about what he can do no, You I've kind of
2: gave him the golden turd award And like after his first game like, Well
3: and, and I didn't think that was fair Like to come out after that well, Vancouver game And say like I did a disservice to the team Basically by dressing that fourth line Like that's <laughs> man like if you want to build these guys up You're not you're not doing it And if you get Jake Muzzin and you, and you kind of like You say well it's not perfect but And that's true But like you're also not really You know you know what
2: I don't know You're not being a team player You know you know what uh, Babcock's reminded me of a little bit The last whatever He reminds me of Ron Wilson a little bit Like he just can't help himself From saying the negative thing Like yeah. w- w- when it's a detriment to his team And I just It just doesn't seem to be any value in. like Patan plays one game And he's like oh I, I did a disservice to our team Like you're playing Vancouver in a game That doesn't mean anything And yes. you just got this young guy Who's been benched the whole year in Winnipeg yes. Like what
3: what are you serving? Why, like, why do that? What, yeah. You you
2: haven't even seen the guy play. Yeah, like he wasn't good in that game. But so what? Like, the I don't know. It's funny because like the whole thing that the Dubas always talks about and sus, uh, subscribes to is the idea of of the process. There's no process involved if you acquire a guy and look at him for five minutes and say hey, I can't play him. Yeah. on a fourth line in limited minutes, like that's that's nuts.
3: Well, and and. I found it interesting, and like this is just a report at this point, but the timing of Nick Batan potentially getting a two-year extension seemed a little interesting. Now, obviously, it probably has nothing to do with it because it makes sense to sign Nick Batan for two years at this point when his value is really low and he's someone who can play in the NHL and you need as many pieces as you can, and the contract's probably going to be one where you can just bury it if you have to. Well,
2: it's the same with the Sparks contract too, right? Yeah. It's the same thing. Like, I'm sure Babcock looks at Curtis McElhaney's numbers and then looks at Garrett Sparks' numbers and then looks back at McElhaney's numbers, and I'm sure he feels like, look, I was right. And he might not
3: be wrong. Like, the process, though, if you're going by this process idea, the right process was always taking Sparks. It's really hard to watch Sparks right now and and be confident in him if you're the Leafs. But, like, you still have to make decisions in a process and that means like trying to make the right decision at the time and not looking back and saying you should have done this. You know what I mean? Like does that make sense?
2: Right. And the thing with goalies too is I mean, like we're looking at such yeah. a narrow sliver of I mean Curtis McAlaney could come out next year and his number he I mean he's pretty close I think he's at a nine fifteen say percentage. He allowed eight goals last week. Not to take anything away from Curtis McAlaney who's been a great story and it's just I don't know. I think it's a bit early to definitively say that. And the other thing too is, I was looking at how how much that's actually hurt the Leafs. It hasn't been that significant. Like if if the backup goalie had a nine fifteen save percentage right now as opposed to a nine oh three, it's
3: like a few goals.
2: It's it's. I think it's like seven or something. It's not that big of an impact on on what's happened in the Leafs season. That's that's not the defining reason that the Leafs are going to have a weaker record mm-hmm. than last year.
3: Well, and I, and so I think to close this. I think if you're Babcock, you've got to kind of change the way you think about these things. And you have to look bigger. And you have to say, you know what? I have to really try to do everything I possibly can to maximize whatever Justin Hall is. I may not think he's good. But, like, he is a piece of our roster. He could be helpful. Let's, like, try to make sure we build him up. And this is what the, like, to to go back to the load management stuff, this is what the San Antonio Spurs do fucking amazingly is they build up their players and they maximize their potential and they try to look at like what they do well and try to fit them in well, and so like there are, there are things that Justin Hall does well he may not be heavy may not be like that, that gutsy whatever type like Roman Polak but there are things he does better than Roman Polak Focus on that stuff. Focus on Nick Patan's skill. Not that he's five nine and 179. You know, one of the things
2: that people with the Marlies say that Justin Hall does well is he takes a hit to make a play. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like the anti-Polak. Like he's not the guy initiating the contact and doing that, mm-hmm. that. But the thing he does, it probably makes him look soft that he's getting beat up all the time. But yeah. I know at least with watching the Marlies, he would often take that that shot and and but the puck would go in the right direction or to the right player that that they wanted it to and the the thing what you're talking about maximize like if babcock wants to be coach gm he should look at every single player he has on the roster as an asset mm-hmm. and not yep not blackball uh like four of them and like you might not like nick batan but you're right like okay give him really sheltered minutes or put him on the second power play unit. And, I mean, he should be trying to build some of these guys up. Yeah, Like, there's, if you're Justin Hall or if you're uh, Patan or you're one of these young guys that's barely played in the NHL, like Trevor Moore, uh, or, or, I mean, even Garrett Sparks, how high is your confidence level right now? Probably, it might not be great. No. Part of the coaching staff's job should be, like, you want you want to give them all of the different pieces. It can't just be... Like you're in the military or something, and it's like, perform or you're gone, and you just do that over and over and over again because you're going to be cutting. Long term, you're going to be losing pieces that might potentially be valuable. Short term, you're not getting as much out of those guys Mm -hmm. as you could. Well, imagine which is the whole point.
3: Yeah, you're right. Like imagine if you're Nick Batan, you've just spent like two years under Paul Maurice, who clearly has no time for you, doesn't play you, and then you come here imagine hearing like what babcock says about you, you you'd be like four shifts. you'd be like man like my i'm in the same position again as opposed to if the coach came out and be like man i like that like this nick patan might have something suddenly i'm nick patan i'm like man maybe i got a chance maybe i'll feel better about myself maybe i'll, I'll play better there's just no downside to doing it that way the difference is like mike babcock likes to he, he doesn't bullshit But sometimes, like, you can finesse these things where you don't have to be so blunt. It's good for us in the
2: media because we know exactly what he's thinking all of the time. But I don't, I think it does a disservice to the organization sometimes. And just, especially with the way the media market is here.
3: Mm -hmm. All right. We'll close there. Get your Bab socks or your Saki Hall of Fame socks. You can subscribe. I still got to go buy some more Saki Hall of Fame socks. Yeah. You should get one of the mystery packs. I know,
2: but I'm a bit worried I'm going to get some sort of mystery I don't want. Who would you w- I'll just gift want? it to you. Well, there's, a, there's some pretty weird players on there. There's, like, Adam Graves and stuff like that. Adam Graves is awesome. I think. You didn't
3: like Adam Graves?
2: I didn't like the Rangers. Oh, Adam Graves is,
3: like, everything you want. In I wasn't a huge butter. Canucks fan,
2: but that 94 team, I really had. That was, like, one of my favorite teams ever, that run they went on. I was 13 years old, and I... I got on the bandwagon, uh, round two they played Dallas and that was a great series, Bray like cheap shot and took out Shane Churla and like, and that was just like a real lunch pail team that, and the Rangers were like the embodiment of what I didn't like as a young person watching in that they were like the high spending, acquire a bunch of free agents, yep. you got Keenan who's not super likable, you got Messier who I didn't find super likable, especially after his turn in Vancouver. I was not a big Rangers fan. Did you love Bure? Like, I feel like... No. A... But he was the most popular player. I actually, I liked Kirk McLean. Huh. I, I really like goalies when That's I was... That's interesting. And, and I really liked Trevor Linden. Huh. And I liked some of the, like, uh, some of the depth guys they had on that team.
3: Who do you think the closest comparable to Bure is right now in the league? Is it Kucherov? Not really. No. Because Bure is like a burner. Like, yeah. who is that? Um, I don't know if there is someone.
2: It's a bit like Ovechkin, but Ovechkin's obviously got like some different elements and stuff. Like it's someone who like plays in real straight lines that Bury was amazing. I don't know. I just when as a hockey fan, I always was like the hipster that hockey fan that I would pick like the stay at home defenseman that was I really liked or it was hard to not like Trevor Linden and Kirk McClain though. And Kirk McClain played stand up style and like he was an exciting goalie to watch.
3: When did you lose your Canuck fandom?
2: well, they immediately went in the shitter like two or three years later. I just, I eventually decided it doesn't make sense to like cheer for a a team that, like the roster, I don't know. The roster's always changing. You got incompetent people running it. Anyway, I I lost it for good. I think when I moved to Toronto and I just, I was never that invested in it. Mm. The Canucks were always my dad's team from the mid 80s until... That 94 run they were pretty bad mm-hmm. and, and when they got good when i was like a seven or eight year old kid and it's late 80s and the oilers are and the flames are pumping them every night it's like why would i cheer for that like why is my dad watching this brutal team get brutalized so anyway i was a if i was a canucks fan i was a bad one because it didn't last very long
3: all right we'll leave it there canucks fan james myrtle so we'll be back uh, next week with another edition of the pod so thank you for listening thank you to andrew nolan for producing as always and go to the athletic.com slash leaf report for 40 percent off we got lots of tons of content about everything in sports playoffs <laughs> thanks